Okay, so this uh, next one is uh, uh, the Plura. Uh, also very uh, useful information that you will find uh, material and test questions on. Preview question is, which of the following laboratory values is consistent with the diagnosis of a malignant pleural effusion? This is one of their favorite test questions. This is light's criteria, right? Uh, you, you have to know this. Protein uh, greater than 3, LDH less than 200, pH, glucose, and amylase. Okay, very good. So it's uh, protein, and we'll go, we'll go through some of these parameters. So the pleura, uh, anatomy, there's a, a parietal and a visceral uh, pleural surface to create this potential space, the pleural space in the chest cavity. Histologies, this is a single layer of mesothelial cells resting on an elastic membrane. Function is for fluid resorption and also phagocytosis and clearing of pathogens and uh, bacteria. So this uh, just shows that in cartoon form, uh, the parietal pleura, the visceral pleura. Uh, the fold at the bottom is the inferior pulmonary ligament. Um, and then the costodiaphragmatic sulcus. There's a reflection of uh, pleura at the root of the lung. Here's a coronal or a, a axial uh, view of that and how it envelops the pericardium and then has this area at the root of the lung where it's non-continuous covers the azagous vein and the aorta. The blood supply to the uh, parietal surface is supplied by systemic circulation only, uh, intercostal, mammary, and bronchial vessels. And then the venous drainage is by parabronchial veins that go into the vena cava. The visceral uh, pleural surface has a dual blood supply, both systemic and the pulmonary circulation. And the venous drainage is through the pulmonary veins. There's a near constant negative intrapleural pressure at FRC, negative two to negative five, but then when you inspire at full, the pressure can drop to as, uh, as low as negative 35. The lung and the bony thorax represent two of the elastic structures that are coupled in series that can generate this negative intrathoracic pressure. Uh, the fluid movements, uh, is there, there's the plural fluid that's continuous, continuously produced and then reabsorbed. The visceral surface absorbs the fluid secreted from the parietal surface. And the parietal plural lymphatics absorb any of the excess. In analysis of a pleural effusion, lymphocyte count will be elevated in advanced TB or lymphoma or a malignancy, whereas neutrophils will predominate in an infectious pneumonia, pulmonary infarct, a pancre a pancreatitis, or uh, an early TB exposure. Empyema can be differentiated from chylothorax by centrifugation, which gives a clear supernatant in the empyema, or you can just tell if there's pus in the chest, that's an empyema. Um, black fluid suggests aspergillus, uh, which we had a, a, 
a good demonstration by Doc Martin. Close, uh, grossly bloody effusions are due to trauma, pulmonary infarction, or malignancy, and a glucose level below the serum glucose is seen in TB or rheumatoid arthritis, empyema, and also malignancy. A combination of effusion cytology and biopsy can make a diagnosis of TB in up to 95% of patients and malignancy in up to 90%. Uh, VATS can establish the diagnosis same uh, at about 95% of effusions that remain undiagnosed after a thoracentesis or a uh, pleural biopsy. And the most common causes of malignant effusions are lung cancer in men and breast cancer in women. That's, that's an important fact. Effusion develops in 50% of patients with Dressler syndrome, which is the post-op post pericarditis or post-cardiotomy pericarditis, generally small volume. And effusions develop in 50% of patients with PE uh, with or without uh, an infarct. Okay, there's a fair amount here on malignant pleural effusions because you'll be expected to deal with these. Of all the pleural effusions, 20 to 50% are malignant. 95% of neoplastic effusions are metastatic and most associated with advanced lung or breast cancers in 75% of cases. 50% of breast cancer patients will develop pleural effusion. Uh, occasionally, uh, or secondary to uh, pleural mets from ovarian GO or GI malignancies and can include mesothelioma, uh, sarcoma, or uh, lymphoma, which is less common. Uh, this is often the first sign of or the first diagnostic source for malignancy. And the characteristics are that they're uh, commonly large, uh, high volume. Uh, there can be multiple pleural nodules and thickening uh, with pleura that's greater than a centimeter uh, thick. So the pathophysiology, there's an increased capillary permeability associated with the tumor implants that causes uh, secretion of this fluid and then the obstruction of the lymphatics that are supposed to get rid of it, and hence the collection of uh, this fluid. Nearly all malignant effusions are exudative, and so uh, they have a bloody or milky appearance um, biochemistry for the exudative, and these are the lights criteria that you need to be familiar with, protein greater than 3, pH less than 7.3, amylase usually is high, glucose low, and an LDH that's uh, higher. The pathology uh, can be positive for cytolo uh, positive cytology diagnosis. Sometimes you can drain 1,500 cc's of uh, a malignant effusion and won't get any cells. So they can also have positive uh, chromosomal examination or a high CEA content. The goal is to empty the pleural, uh, empty the pleural space and expand the underlying lung so that those two surfaces uh, oppose and uh, there's no potential space for fluid accumulation. Chest tube drainage is the least invasive way of doing it. Uh, sclerosing agents can be instilled through the chest tube, and uh, these are some of the agents that can be used. These are the success rates with each of those. And um, so if you look at the mean uh, success rates here, talc seems to be the best. And uh, 
that's probably a reason that most, most people use talc. Um, so talc pleuridesis, powder insufflation, or liquid slurry um, causes mesothelial denuding and an exudative neutrophilic effusion. Um, and 20% of those patients will develop some transient interstitial findings on chest x-ray, but those clear. Uh, I think most, most of the time these bottles come in four grams sterile talc, at least ours do, and so we use a couple on, on, a, on a pleurodesis. Pleurectomy can be performed if uh, sclerosis is unsuccessful. Uh, this is good with malignancies, but it, again, it's very painful very invasive and uh, it, it causes a lot of bleeding and so usually is not done. Mortality can be as high as 12%. Pleuroperitoneal shunts, uh, fluid can be resorbed in the peritoneal space. However, that gives you a potential spread of any tumor that may be there. Uh, there's a low rate of patient compliance with uh, these Denver shunts or Plurex catheters and the outpatient management that that requires. Chemotherapy with or without radiation uh, can be used, usually with lymphoma or small cell, and hormonal treatment is possible for breast cancer. Okay, uh, some, plural, uh, some information on pleural tumors now, mainly uh, mesothelioma. Uh, so pleural plaques are discrete one to five millimeter areas of thickened parietal pleura of an unknown cause. And uh, Primary pleural neoplasms are rare compared to metastatic lesions, almost always a metastatic cause. Lipomas are the most common benign pleural lesions, usually well encapsulated, free from any underlying disease or invasion, and are firmly fixed to the pleura. Many of these can be diagnosed and resected by VATs. Uh, so mesothelioma is the, the main uh, tumor that you want to know and understand uh, regarding the pleura. Etiology is usually uh, some type of asbestos exposure, and this is an inhaled particle. Um, the particles are only partially engulfed by the pulmonary macrophages and then are not cleared. Uh, insulation manufacturing is historically the most prominent exposure. And then this chrysidolite, uh, also known as blue asbestos, is the most harmful form. There's about six different kinds of asbestos. And I don't know if you remember from your medical school, they have the uh, amphibole or the amphiboly and the serpentine, two different kind of standard types. There's the uh, chrysotile, which is the only serpentine type, and all the rest are of the amphibolo. Uh, and this chrysidolite is, um, is one of the most common, but uh, it may be important for you to know that chrysotile is 90 to 95% of asbestos exposures are that, that type. And it's called white asbestos, okay? 90 to 95%. So when you see these lawyers, this is a billion dollar industry. Uh, commercials for asbestos exposure, uh, that's usually attacking this uh, uh, white asbestos. Um, type. So etiology, there's about a 20 to 40 year latent period between exposure and the emergence of the disease. Intensity of exposure seems more important than the duration of the exposure. Cigarette smokers 
with an asbestos exposure have a higher chance, chance of developing bronchogenic carcinoma. Smoking is not a risk factor for mesothelioma, although it can contribute to the diminishing, uh, diminishing of the patient's overall condition. Other factors that may contribute to the development of mesothelioma include COPD, radiation exposure, and uh, zeolite exposure. Um, <clears throat> that's not one of the types of asbestos, uh, but they all end in light. Uh, so middle-aged men uh, presenting uh, with pleuritic chest pain, shortness of breath, and uh, a clear history of asbestos exposure are the ones that you think of with uh, this disease. Chest x-ray may show a pleural effusion, some pleural thickening, uh, and sometimes it can be associated with calcifications, but the CT scan is the clincher in this, uh, in this diagnosis, and it has a very characteristic lumpy pleura uh, along the outside, and sometimes this can be completely circumferential and usually is on one side. So a large biopsy, not just fluid, is needed, and that sometimes will require open or VATS uh, biopsy. So they have to differentiate these biopsies from adenocarcinoma. And uh, so keratin positive in mesothelioma, but adenocarcinoma will be negative, except in the cases of breast cancer. Hyaluronic acid is present in the pleural effusion of a mesothelioma. And both tumors stain positive for the PAS, but after enzymatic digestion, then the mesotheliomas will become negative and adenocarcinomas will remain positive. So your pathologist can help you with those diagnoses. Uh, also, uh, by electron microscopy, they will demonstrate abundant long slender microvilli uh, and desmosomes in a mesothelioma, whereas short or blunt microvilli are found in adeno. Um, there's two main types, epithelioid, and sarcomatoid, and then there's a mixed version as well. Epithelioids, the most common, 30 to 34% are mixed, and the rest are this mesenchymal or, or, or uh, sarcomatoid. Most pathologists confidently diagnose mesothelioma only in patients with the sarcomatous or uh, mixed histology. But most of the diagnosis that you'll see are epithelioid. Three separate categories of uh, mesotheliomas, benign localized, clinically at least, benign localized, malignant localized, or malignant diffuse. So the benign, usually on a stalk, slow growing, generally asymptomatic and detected on a chest x-ray. They can have extrathoracic manifestations in about a third of patients, and these are strong predictors of benign disease. So pulmonary osteoarthropathy, and 20% of, uh, what, what is that when you refer to pulmonary osteoarthropathy? Great term, but what does it mean? So that's the clubbing that you can see in patients with COPD. They have joint problems, effusions. Um, the, these, this is pulmonary osteoarthropathy. Fever, hyperglycemia, resection uh, locally is uh, curative unless you don't get it all. And lobectomy probably has no benefit over just a local resection. 
malignant localized, 20% of all primary malignant pleural tumors are localized, often symptomatic with chest pain, cough, dyspnea, and uh, fever. Uh, this uh, pulmonary osteoarthropathy almost never occurs in these patients. Um, can be difficult to differentiate from a primary chest wall tumor in some instances. And so wide in-block excision, including the lung, chest wall, soft tissues, and the skin is the treatment of choice in these localized situations. Uh, the, the problem is we just don't see many of these localized cases. Uh, I've, I don't think I've ever seen a localized mesothelioma. Uh, when surgical resection is incomplete, the prognosis is poor, even with adjunctive uh, radiation. Okay, th this is, you know, the one that the lawyers are after and that you see most often, and this is a malignant diffuse. So there's a lot of cases. Hematogenous METs are seen in up to 50%. They have uh, spread to lymph nodes in two-thirds uh, already at the time of diagnosis usually occurs in the sixth to seventh decade, which you know, corresponds to an exposure in their 30s, 40s, um, the, their working time, and uh, three to five times more common in men. And there's an insidious onset of chest pain and dyspnea in almost all those cases. So stage one, we'll talk a little bit about the staging. Stage one denotes limited disease, whereas stage two through four uh, is extensive or metastatic and these patients just don't do well. Uh, one, two, and three have mean survivals of 16, nine, and five months, um, and that's, that's treated. Multiple variations of staging, TNM classifications, the most commonly is this Bouchard staging and then the TNM uh, of the IMIG group. So we'll go through just the uh, IMIG TNM classification and not much different from any of your TNM classifications for ADNO. Um, uh, you'll notice, however, that in the T staging, there's nothing about size of tumor, okay? It's all how it invades and what it invades. Size doesn't make any difference in, in this uh, particular T staging. Regional lymph nodes, very similar, and same with distant METs. And here's your staging uh, algorithm and chart. So the management of these patients, all modalities are disappointing in relieving symptoms or prolonging life. Uh, so supportive care is the mainstay. Treat effusions with thoracentesis or sclerosis. Um, radiation uh, doesn't work. Uh, debulking pleurectomy can offer some control and preserves the lung. It's not as uh, debilitating uh, a surgery as an extrapleural pneumonectomy, uh, but the radical pleural pneumonectomy has a high operative mortality and a low five-year survival and really should be offered only to very selected, very fit patients. Um, chemotherapy, unclear, but uh, some intrapleural therapies may play a role. So extrapleural pneumonectomy, select uh, patients very carefully, usually have to be less than age 65, really. Um, they can have a Karnofsky score that's very high, good heart function, no pulmonary hypertension, 
and the goal is to completely resect the lung uh, pleura and leave just a rim of diaphragm for patch attachment or reconstruction uh, leave the peritoneum intact if possible and use a Gore-Tex patch for reconstruction of the diaphragm. So here's a cartoon from the Ferguson Atlas showing reconstruction of both the diaphragm and the pericardium. And uh, where I trained, we used uh, silver impregnated Gore-Tex to try and prevent infection uh, in the diaphragm and in the pericardial re reconstruction. Um, so the results of extra pleural pneumonectomy for uh, malignant mesothelioma, and I'll just point out, look at this two-year survival in these five series. Uh, this is from 1976, this one's from 1999, and we're getting about 35% survival at two years, so not very good. And then when you can, can uh, compare radical extrapleural pneumonectomy with just a pleurectomy, most of the time, almost in every single case, one, two, and five-year survival, pleurectomy has a better survival than an extrapleural pneumonectomy. And so that's why this has kind of fallen, fallen out of favor with, uh, in most instances. This shows kind of some of the same, uh, same data. So the prognosis is poor with a mean survival of six to 14 months when you consider all comers, all stages. Patients usually die of local complications rather than distant mets. Here's another picture of the inside of vats of uh, the pleural, parietal pleural surface. All right, on to uh, thoracic duct and chylothorax. So the duct begins, this is anatomy, duct begins at the cisterna chyla at T12, L1, L2 area, ascends in the right posterior mediastinum, which is where you want to go in for a mass ligation, if it ever comes to that, through the aortic opening, and is extrapleural between the azagus uh, and the aorta, right on the vertebral body behind the esophagus. Uh, crosses over at T5 or at the tracheal bifurcation and then travels behind the arch to the left of the esophagus. And then the neck, it enters the venous system at the junction of the IJ and subclavian veins. The right duct uh, collects chyle from the right side of the head and neck and empties into that same junction, but just from the upper portion. It enters the venous system uh, at the right IJ and subclavian. Normal thoracic duct anatomy exists in about 50% of patients, and the other ones can have up to two ducts. So here's the nice cartoon going to the left at about T5 or tracheal bifurcation, and then emptying right at the junction. And then what's not in the picture is over here, you would have a duct coming from the head down to the junction of the right IJ and right subclavian but not going down further. So the mechanics of flow, there's a pressure gradient between the chest and abdomen that contr contributes to the flow of chyle from the abdomen to chest. Uh, also, there's an autonomic contraction of the duct and a siphon-like system. Valves are present in the thoracic duct to help with uh, the flow. And this is how much you produce a day. It can be up to 200 cc's after a McDonald's event. 
um, high in triglycerides, high in protein. White blood cell count is usually somewhere between two and 20,000, obviously with a, predominate, uh, a predominance of T cell lymphocytes and the remainder being mostly eosinophils. So a chylothorax can be secondary to congenital traumatic or non-traumatic causes, uh, some of them listed there. Trauma and neoplasms are the most frequent causes of chylothorax. Ones you're gonna be called on to uh, manage will most often be of your own <laughs> contribution. Most common mechanisms, non-penetrating injury, is sudden hyperextension of the spine. The duct is most vulnerable during surgery in the upper part of the left chest, particularly during operations where you're having to mobilize the arch, uh, left subclavian artery or the esophagus. Uh, tumors responsible for more than 50% of the chylothorax in adults, and 75% of, the, of these are due to mediastinal. Uh, retroperitoneal lymphoma. The rest are lymphomas or uh, lung cancers. Believed to be right greater than left, uh, chest x-ray with an effusion, analysis of the effusion with characteristics mentioned before. Got to be distinguished from the pseudochyle that can be the result of pleural tumor or long-standing empyema. Chyle is milky and non-clotting, contains fat globules and uh, stains with this uh, Sudan 3 stain. But this is the thing, if you measure it, get a triglyceride level and that can, that can clench it. Uh, the initial management should be non-surgical with a chest tube drainage. This allows for the uh, daily accurate recording and helps the lung re-expand. Uh, controlled diet with a medium chain triglycerides. And uh, it's important to know why the MCT diet works. And we've listed that there for you. These are directly absorbed via the portal system through the liver and not the intestinal lymphatics which decrease the production of chyle, okay? So that's why MCT works. Uh, if that doesn't work, then TPN uh, can help and non-traumatic chylothorides may be managed with non-operative therapy for longer periods of time with thoracentesis, chest tube, and uh, also sclerosis. Uh, there, there's a fair amount of literature too. You should know that uh, octreotide works really nice in, in these situations. And uh, 100 micrograms three times a day, put them on a non-fat diet, and uh, have a chest tube in there and monitor it. And uh, I've had really good success with, with, with that uh, method as well and seen that. Indications for surgery, drainage over 14 days, um, drainage that's greater than 1,500 uh, cc's a day. If they're having metabolic complications or nutritional complications, which can happen. If there's trapped lung, suspicion of malignancy, or they've started to loculate some of those areas. About 20 to 50% of patients will require surgery. There are three different surgical approaches, direct closure, ligation of the mediastinal pleura, uh, where the surgeon enters the side with the effusion, the mass ligates the area of the leak. You can give them some cream down an NG tube right at the beginning of the operation, and, and that can, uh, you can see that once you've opened or gotten in uh, thoracoscopically and ligate that particular area. 
and then there's duct ligation, mass duct ligation, where you enter the right hemithorax, mass ligate the tissue between the azygous vein and the aorta. With bilateral effusions, explore the right side first, ligate the duct low, and then uh, explore the left side only if indicated. Here's a cartoon just showing the method of the mass ligation. Here's a photo of that. And your follow-up question, which of the following statements regarding mesothelioma is true? Most benign localized mesotheliomas have extrathoracic manifestations. Malignant localized mesotheliomas are usually asymptomatic. Diffuse malignant mesothelioma is commonly associated with cigarette smoking. Diffuse malignant mesothelioma is commonly associated with asbestos exposure. Median survival for diffuse malignant mesothelioma is one to three months. This, this would probably be 100%. <laughs> I keep saying that. I haven't got 100% yet. Ninety-one. I'm going down here. It's diffuse malignant mesothelioma is commonly associated with asbestos exposure. That's that's the. All right. <clears throat>